Welcome to Future Focus, the UK at Expo podcast series, where throughout the world's greatest show at Expo 2020 Dubai, we'll be celebrating the best of the UK's creativity, innovation and culture, with special guests offering exclusive insight into ways we can innovate for a shared future. In this episode, host Hannah Austin talks to Helen Brunsden, Director of Animation UK and of the British Animation Awards. Helen is a BAFTA winner and has worked extensively across the animation industry as a consultant, producer and executive, including work with Aardman, Disney and the BBC. Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the How Will We Create series of the Future Focus UK at Expo podcast. I'm Hannah Austin from the Department for International Trade. And today on the podcast, we're joined by Helen Brunsden, Director of the British Animation Awards. Helen has worked extensively across the animation industry as a consultant, producer and executive working with some of the most creative names in animation. So welcome, Helen, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much, Hannah. It's lovely to be here and thank you for inviting me. We are so excited to have you on the podcast series for How Will We Create? And I just wondered, Helen, could you start by telling us a bit more about your background and your career history and how you came to work in animation industry? Yes, I've had quite a straightforward, traditional route up through art, um, through school, foundation art. And then that's where I discovered my love for animation was at foundation where I tried a little bit of everything. So I decided to go off and do a degree. Um, I soon learned um, there was 15 of us in my first year that I preferred to be producing other people than to actually animating myself. So I quickly um, became quite well known as a producer. And then after graduating, you know, we're talking in the early 90s. So I went through college throughout the 80, late 80s. Um, I, there was more opportunities to maybe start as um, painting and tracing, um, one of the oldest techniques of animation. So I started that way on the Beatrix Potter series um, and then started to get to know the movers and shakers of the of the industry and who I'd like to work with. So from then on, I saw a rise to, I worked for the Cardiff Animation Festival for the BBC, and then my first opportunity came up with Ardman, um, who I stayed with for many years and then went freelance um, and produced for other people, including S4C. And then I went back to Ardman and became head of, um, the well, the broadcast manager, which was head of short films and series development. So... And I left there and went freelance again back in 2009. So, and that, I've really been doing um, lots of things since. And I guess where I'm at at the moment is I wear a lot of hats. So I still produce um, at EP level and I still try to lobby and advocate on behalf of the industry, as well as keeping my hand in talking to students and um, and currently working for places at the BFI, the British Film Institute, across their short films as well. So that's me. <laughs> Helen, I'm really showing my age, but I grew up watching that Beatrix Potter series. <laughs> <laughs> You've made me feel really nostalgic. It was beautiful. It, it was, and it really, it, you know, it really taught me um, the the labour intensiveness that we always associate with animation, how long things take, you know, and 
the pure drawing style of that series was um, truly great. But it's also learned that I was eight hours in the studio. I started to learn how things worked within the studio environment. So it's a very, very steep learning curve. So it was great. So for those who may be listening who might be new to animation or who might just probably, like I did before I started talking to you, I think, uh, think of animation as cartoons. What is it about animation and the animation industry that allows it to have such a wide reach beyond just children's programs and just cartoons? I think it really has its heart because it's removed from reality. You know, it crosses different languages and cultures um, appeals to anybody. I think because we're character based a lot of the time, um, people can relate to it. You know, they don't have to look like characters as we know it. If, you know, a human doesn't have to look like a human and, you know, it can be non-dialogue. It doesn't have to have words in it. It can travel internationally to audience. So therefore, I just feel it has enormous cultural benefits, you know, from its, from a global appeal, really. And and it and as it as it's part of the creative industries, it it plays its part in delivering on economic value, you know, sort of for the UK economy. And so yes, we're not just talking kids' programs. We're talking we've got different formats and genres. We've got independent animation, experimental animation. We've got the feature films now that you see on screens. We've got the series, and we've got um, probably, if I'm absolutely truthful, my deep love and respect is the short film format as well. And you've just touched on the fact, obviously, animation is rooted in the creative industries and the benefits the creative industries bring to the UK economy. We know that the UK is is particularly strong in the animation sector. And why do you think that is? What is it about the UK that kind of makes us strong in that way? I think animation is such an imperative and significant part of UK culture. Actually, it's um, you know, it's a it, it, it contributes to the country's identity, um, fueling children's imaginations and helping to promote the UK globally. And I think we, as a talent base, we're great creative thinkers. We're inspiring, unique, and groundbreaking. Um, we're at the forefront of a lot of emerging technologies. Uh, we embrace innovation. Uh, we're risk taking <laughs> and we pioneer creative techniques. The wider sectors include VFX, um, AI, VR. Um, I'm not an expert in those fields, but you know, it is part of our ecosystem, shall we say, um, of animation. Absolutely. And I think it's really interesting you to say we've already touched on children's stories and you to say, you know, a part of the UK kind of culture and identity is rooted in children's stories. I think across our our breakthrough moment, how will we create already? We've talked about Roald Dahl, we've talked about Alice in Wonderland, we've talked about some some children's stories across the piece that we know we are known for worldwide. I mean, Harry Potter, uh, Peppa Pig, some of the kind of more modern ones. Um, so in terms of the more innovative animation examples that are kind of coming out now, what some of the 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 contemporary, the things that are coming out right now? You know, anything from the Clangers to Shaun the Sheep, um, Moomin Valley, uh, we've got Digby Dragon, Lou Bay Bay, you know, sort of Mr Bean. There's there's so many innovative things that are happening. And I guess we try to talk of them, talk as brands, uh, you know, talk as them as brands, I guess. And I think Wallace and Gromit is a really good example of maybe how that is diversifying and innovative. It keeps, you know, innovative. You've already mentioned Peppa Pig. Um, but but equally, I think, 
you know, we forget about maybe in my sector, we've got explainer videos, you know, they're good to get information across. Um, we've got apps, you know, that use a lot of animations. So, and we've also got as a business model, the direct consumer where we're trying to be all places at once, you know, we're trying to exploit our brands. Um, and some of, you know, I would say innovative, we also are really good at exporting talent. That's probably part of our, our, our animation scene as well. Absolutely. And we've, we've talked a little bit about their innovative examples of UK animation projects. I think we know that there are certain regions in the UK or certain kind of parts of the country where we see creativity really flourish. And just thinking about Ardman, that's obviously kind of Bristol area, you yourself having a connection to Wales. Are there any particular regions of the UK where, where we're really seeing a growth in the animation sector? Do you know what? The answer to that is it's everywhere. You know, I think um, I think we've proved our talent pipelines can work remotely. So, you know, equally, you're absolutely right. There are huge clusters in um, cities such as Bristol, London, Cardiff, Manchester, Leeds, Bradford, Sheffield, um, but equally in Edinburgh and Glasgow and, um, and Belfast. So, but I also know there are independent filmmakers in the Outer Hebrides, you know, on the borders, in Northumberland, um, all the way down to Cornwall. So wherever you um, point at, at a map of the UK, I, I could you could name that there are freelancers working there that are working with international clients, but happen to do some surfing on the side, um, uh, but equally in, in the larger cities as well. So absolutely everywhere. You've touched on the fact, Helen, that we're all working a lot more remotely. I think we all know that in the past 18 months to two years, there has been a real change with COVID-19, the pandemic, to the way in which people work and also the approach that companies have and the mindset around really trusting their employees to work from home. So I guess I have a question around what challenges the pandemic uh, post to the animation industry, but then also whether there are other challenges that the industry is facing at the moment and kind of innovating through. But we'll start with COVID-19. How did that in particular impact the animation industry in your opinion? What's what's challenging now what, out of the pandemic is, is it's a kind of double-edged sword slightly. What saw us um, to say, oh, we're resilient, we can work through, you know, working remotely has actually turned itself on its side to mean that um, the retention of talent maybe in certain companies has been lost. So, you know, talent working remotely can actually be attracted to other contracts or other work um, globally. So I feel that um, uh, companies are slightly struggling to recruit. Um, I've heard that this, that they've, they've kind of lost people for higher wages or different, you know, for exactly that reason, really. So I'm hoping it levels itself out. Um, and that is, you know, what we did find, obviously, there was a demand for, for content and animation can easily fit that bill. And, and so it should, you know, all of us have been really lucky to be so busy. Um, so I do feel the retention of talent has certainly been a challenge and an issue for COVID. Um, and also just being able to, we can't do things quicker <laughs> in animation. So if only we could, but um, I think it was a case of, you know, a lot more work has been produced um, and to keep up with demand, really. 
And then in terms of the challenges that animation faces and as, as an industry, I think whether there's anything around kind of funding as an industry in particular, whether we've touched on the fact that there's a lot of association with children's stories, but actually does it then struggle as a, as a form in when we look at apps or when we look at information videos, is there a perception there with the animation industry that needs changing? Just other challenges that industry faces beyond the pandemic. I think it's a great question because I think it's it's always about funding. So sort of like I would love to see a more consistent funding ladder, shall we call it, of um, from entry level through to um, well-known and established um, organisations. So we can always do better on the funding side. Um, and I think that, you know, from a business to business angle, that's getting, that's, you know, lobbying. There's some great organisations that, trade organisations that, with sit within our industry called Animation UK or um, Creative Industries Federation, Animation Alliance UK, PACT, I can name more, I'm sure, um, that are trying to get a, a higher tax credit. The tax credit has worked really well for animation, so there's always more to do there. I feel that even at the really granular level is that when people talk about animation, I think we've touched upon this and that is there is no data available so everybody just assumes that um we um we're well known and actually i think within government we can have more data research done so more stats to give us on a regular basis to be able to prove ourselves we know that um the work is being done but i think we need to have the data to back us up really and also um I just feel that that probably comes on to more profiling into the public, you know, eye. And and I think in Wales, we've touched upon it in Wales, actually, and that is maybe more arts correspondence is, is a bit of a challenge. We need to put more on the screen to talk about our creative industries going forward, really. You've touched on the fact that there's there's something additional happening in Wales. Do we know if other countries are doing more to help their animation industries? I think we we always look across the waters or you know across overseas and see people we think the grass is always greener and and I think um and I think it's in lots of cases it is in in France Canada the Republic of Ireland um and and throughout Europe I think animate the animation industry is more wedded into um more of the arts landscape shall we say and taken more seriously so I feel that more short films are made overseas there's a there's a funding more funding readily available but equally in other countries we do lots more training and please I'm not saying that we don't do any training in the UK um, but but I'm saying it from a support mechanism that I feel that when I look across um, to certain countries, they're giving more support for artists and indies and businesses. Business development is 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 huge part of growth or scaling up, um, and we don't have enough of it in this country, as well as um, maybe more business incentives of tax side of things and and project funding. And then we lead on to the visibility. We do see more from overseas countries promoting their talent a lot more and the films that are made. Um, and I also feel that, you know, we can, we, can, we can do more collaboration as well as an industry. You know, on the creative technology side, we can, we can collaborate um, more hyper-locally and also internationally as well. 
So just taking that a little bit further then, what conditions does animation need to succeed as an industry? So maybe where we've seen um, animation really grow in a particular region or where we've we've really seen success, kind of what conditions help breed that? I think it, it, as usual, it's the joined up um, paperwork, whether it's you know, um, a development bank or a bank in general being able to support a business. Um, you know, small, medium and large companies, we struggle with cash flow. So just sort of making the conditions for business needs at its heart would be really, really good. And and for them to, and for, it's quite a complex industry to understand, I guess, to somebody on the street in that we don't, we don't necessarily sell in units you know we don't we don't we, we can't predict how many bricks we're going to need or sell um so it's quite hard to it's quite hard to measure and be measurable but that, but i think so business needs training and talent what 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 meeting does everybody i'm sure listening in go to without without training and talent coming up and then we've got a litmus test up towards the culture side of things you know we've already touched upon animation and an, as an art form, um, encourage creativity, self-expression, you know, we've got deep craft skills um, and techniques going on. So culture can't, is part of those conditions really, is that people, I think going back to the pandemic question, I'd like to hear that households didn't watch less uh, content. I'm sure the cases they watched more, you know, so it is part of us on a day-to-day level. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure everyone in the world consumed more online media, more kind of, yeah, visual content during the pandemic. And it would be interesting to see what impact that has on the next generations, I guess coming through whether or not there is an increase in people interested in getting involved in television or in animation and that sort of thing I don't know whether there's been a spike already in interest I don't know if you know I don't I'm sure somebody out there does I do think that you know rooting the knowledge in schools from an early age about what is possible um it, it is really really key to some maybe some of those conditions or making it more accessible to know more so um, that that would be really good, but we do have the proof. We do have the the fact that it has impacted across the social and economic landscapes, you know, and um, and, and is embedded in the communities um, of all the regions across the UK. So we do know that for a fact. And something that you've you mentioned um, as you were answering that around collaboration and, and what we could do or what the industry could do around collaboration. How important is that international collaboration for the UK animation sector? Hugely important because we've been doing international co-productions for years and I feel, you know, we need to continue doing those. Also, you know, and that helps build partnerships, um, there's definitely a means of talent exchange and therefore a diversity of crew. So it does have a have a have a great um through line into our workflows and pipelines. Um, but I also feel businesses throughout the, the nations and regions will also need to collaborate hyper-locally. So we will need to have an exchange, even just to just to to, to help. It doesn't have to be within our animation sector. It's it's maybe a manufacturing company talking to an animation company. I think there's got to be more of that rooted going forward. And there's never a, a better time to talk about um 
you know that that that's the creation of IP I guess is um all comes out of that collaboration and uh, and that's whether it's on a national or international scale I was really interested to hear you use the the big D word that's appearing in all of our podcasts at the moment, which is diversity and kind of authentic diversity and how that is it's such an important aspect of the creative industries. And I'm sure it will come up in, in the other podcast series that touch on kind of travel and learning and education and food and drink and things as well. But just in terms of diversity, animation is a powerful storytelling medium and it can kind of cross boundaries, cross borders, cross languages. You've talked about um, the, the char- it being characters. They don't have to be human. They can be character form that kind of helps bring out diversity. So what role do you see the industry playing to bring more diverse groups together and to build this more kind of truly authentically diverse art form? Such a huge question, isn't it? Huge, yes. (laughs) Sorry. Just answer that in a few minutes, will you, Helen? (laughs) Um, I think we've got to continue those conversations. We've got to continue to listen to unique voices that, and they are all so many unique voices coming through filmmaking. Um, and that is, you know, you're talking neurodiversity, you're talking um, disabilities. It's, you know, the, across the arts, not just animation. And I feel we can do more, <laughs> um, whether that is, you know, sort of um, getting more. I'm always keen to hear from different voices within animation. And and actually what we need to see more is people championing them. And I feel that we are, animation is part of the wider creative industries. And, you know, we are here to, you know, we're vital to realising our country's vision of the future, shall we say. And, but in order to, I guess, reimagine the future, we need to rewrite the narrative slightly and tell the stories that shape our culture. And we can't do that without without listening to a completely different set of voices as well as the regular ones that we always hear from. Absolutely. And I think for me, what's really interesting as we're doing some of these subjects around the creative industries, we were talking about public art and the Black Lives Matter movement came up. I was talking um, earlier about uh, the kind of live art, performance art, and we were talking about the refugee community. And I think one thing you've mentioned that hasn't come up so far is, is neurodivergent voices. And that does play a role in our education activity that we're doing on the UK Pavilion in December but just to touch on kind of whether or not particularly in animation that that's a community that you're you're seeing coming through um and making making this art or whether or not that's something that that you'd like to see more of I'd always like to see more of it but 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 it's all it's already in 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 our ecosystem you know i just don't feel we hear enough from them or like i said a, a, maybe an able-bodied person like myself should be championing them in more i think it needs to rise to the top in profiling and and i know that certain people have had difficulty you know just like we forget just go logging onto a, a, an online platform to hold our meetings is difficult for others you know and i just feel we need more funding at that level and we need to see more people seeing the work you know um i think digital production is here to stay as well as hybrid events is here to stay so 
it really opens up our world um to be more connected and um and i i just feel i'd love to see what um what ideas and what ip is coming from those voices really and and they're part of our identity so we've got to embrace it more amazing I'm just going to continue on the kind of international theme for a while because I know um, you've talked previously about the importance of the UK presence at the Annecy International Animation Film Festival. Yes. So for those that don't know, we have we have um, we have uh, local, national, fantastic animation film festivals throughout the UK, and sometimes film festivals or wider arts festivals with an animation category. Um, but I guess as as always, as a sector, we've we kind of migrate. Um, and Annecy in France, well, it's on the French-Swiss border, um, is is the mecca of uh, festivals that we all head to every year. And it's got a business element in that it's got a market and it's also got a film festival. And it actually, you know, it's, it, it, it's not not to bore everyone, but it came out of the Cannes Film Festival in the 60s because they were seeing so much animation. A group of uh, filmmakers said, Let, let's go let's go make our own festival. And, and that happened. Um, so we all gather there. And but what I've noticed, um, oh, it's, it's been happening gradually. But but over the last ten years, let's say that when Mifa is the market side of things, and there is uh, you walk through a marquee, it's a massive marquee, but there's lots of stands. And what I've always commented on is that the where's the UK? You know, we, you know, we see um, a stand for Croatian animation or Polish animation, and you can go and have vodka at four o'clock. You know, where's that? Where's the equivalent? In the last five years, Animation UK and Department of International Trade did manage to come together and put a UK stand together. And it's where everybody should see our wares. You know, we should, that's where the, that's where the networking happens. That's where we get to see um, and hear about what the UK are up to. But equally from a business angle, it also puts us on a, uh, I'd like to see it grow more and to be on the level playing field where we can actually say to somebody if you want to do a, a co-production um yes we can bring x number of pounds to the table this is this is what the uk can offer you know um and also see a show reel of some short films or or other means of content advertising that we can see on the screen on the uk stand as well so but there are quite a lot of festivals all over the world we sometimes have our favorites but the there's some key markets, shall I say, as well as the trade markets like your MIPCOMs, your cartoon forms. Actually, we, the UK doesn't go to the cartoon form anymore, but um, that there, there, there has to be something like that that we keep in our diaries that we can showcase the wealth of talent that we have on board. And speaking of events in the diary, we mentioned right at the beginning, you're director of the British Animation Awards. It happens every two years and we celebrate the output from the UK. And it's again, it's another chance for us to all meet in person and touch base with each other. I'm still open for sponsorship for March 2022. And um, I've rebooked the South Bank in London and um, we have a celebrity compare and I guess what I loved most about it, which I've kept on as the tradition, and that is the prize artwork that um, a recipient receives is a unique one-off piece of artwork done by an artist in our sectors, and that's their prize. So I think I'd just like to ask you, Helen, what advice you would give someone who was who was young or maybe considering a career change and thinking this the animation industry 
is attractive to me? How do I get involved? And how do I start out? What advice would you offer someone? It's a wonderful and welcoming industry. My advice is to kind of research. I think there's never a better time to look at some credits of a film. It doesn't have to be whatever film. And just to see, oh, I don't know what that role does. And just to start to do your own research. We're quite a small, bespoke industry. However, we do all know each other. So um, you do, you can quite quickly grab who's who or maybe, you know, look at um, if, if you've been inspired by a piece of work is look up who did it and write to them. Um, so I think that's always the case. And also, do we're really hard working as an industry as well. So do your research, but also be prepared to work work hard. And there's always entry level points to come in. But equally, there is also retraining opportunities if you're, you know, if you have a change of career. There's lots of advice out there, and I can give some links. There's anything from Screen Skills, which who's a, who's a great organisation. Um, there's Animated Women UK. You know, fifty percent of our workforce are, are female or classed as female, so working in the UK today. Thank you for that advice. Hopefully, that's been useful to someone listening today. I just want to kind of wrap us up with this idea. We've we've talked about it. We've mentioned it a few times, both of us. Animation being this powerful storytelling tool and medium. And at World Expo uh, 2020 Dubai, the UK Pavilion is all about innovating for a shared future, and that's kind of the overarching theme of all of our activity. So, what role do you see the animation industry as helping as playing? in helping us to innovate together for a shared future? It's another very big question, I'm afraid, Helen. (laughs) The pure definition of animation, or how I see it when I'm wearing my awards hat, is frame-by-frame manipulation of the moving image. And that is here to stay. People push those boundaries, which I absolutely love seeing. Um, But it's also recognising that... The, the term animation is used so much across sectors. You know, it's, it's used, as I mentioned, in games or um, creative technology. So I think, you know, that lovely Venn diagram um, is sort of like it covers so much. You know, there's, there's, there's probably not a film out there at the moment that doesn't have some form of animation or VFX in it. Um, and I think we've got a huge role to play. I think sometimes not everybody knows where to sit our sector. Um, but I think I'd like to, we'd like to see some change in that and, um, yeah, and, and be more recognized, I guess, by both an audience, um, and also maybe what we just talked about from a career point of view is raising awareness more, um, uh, cause it, cause it, you know, we do need more people to come in and work in it. I almost feel remiss in the fact that that's the first time that we're mentioning gaming and that's such a huge kind of growing industry in an area where the UK is is strong in terms of animation and gaming. We share a talent pool animation and games. You know, it is transferable skills um, for, for animators to work in both industries. We can hear in your voice the kind of love and enthusiasm you have for the industry and it's infectious. I think you're a fantastic champion for the industry and I'm really, really pleased that we have this podcast all about animation as part of our Creative Industries series. It's been fascinating to talk to you today, Helen. Thank you for your time. I've really enjoyed it, so thank you.
I just want to finish with that idea around animation being such a powerful storytelling medium that transcends borders and it can transcend international borders, but also it can really allow for kind of diversity of voices to come through. Thanks for listening to Future Focus, the UK at Expo podcast series. Look out for more podcasts in the series or subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. And if you want to stay up to date with all things UK Pavilion, links to our social media channels can be found in the episode description.